Hey guys, what's going on? This is Lucas with the Retake Lounge. Thank you so much for all the support so far. Uh, we are really excited to bring to you this interview with Eric Lee today. Uh, he was our very first interview of a new segment of our Locality Talk, and we get to talk to him about Kalatoas. Um, I know a lot of you are excited about this episode uh, just as much as we are. There's a couple things that I wanted to let you guys know before you dive in. So first and foremost, I want to apologize. We had some audio issues. My mic was not working that night and there's another mic that picked up the audio. So that doesn't sound that great. And in addition to that, the streaming service that we're using always has some hiccups during interviews. So for the first five to eight minutes of this episode, uh, there's a little bit of talking over. It's a little bit of out of sync, um, but we were able to get the rest of the episode to be uh, great for you guys. Um, we thought about salvaging it and kind of redoing the episode, but uh, after listening to the episode, I don't think we could recreate what we were able to do with Eric, and uh, we are really excited for you guys to watch it. So again, sorry about those issues, but I promise it is going to be worth every bit of it once you get uh, through those first few minutes enjoy don't forget to like subscribe and comment i'd love to know what you guys think about this episode uh enjoy listening everyone Eric, how's it going, man? Pretty good, guys. How you doing? No doing great, man. Here. Appreciate you coming on to kick us off on our first locality spotlight and talk about Kalatoas. No problem. My I, pleasure. I feel like when we're talking about Kalatoas in general, there's a few big names that come up, but I don't think people realize just how many different adult Kalatoas that you have. I've had quite a few. It just kind of, I've always known that I was doing snow stuff, but with that, it's like, I need enough diversity where I'm not just constantly cranking up the same stuff that are all related. So from day one, even before I produced snows, I already started collecting the Kalatoas. And before the ban, they were literally nothing because no one cared about the ST stuff. So it kind of benefited me where I was like, here, let me get all these Kalatoas. Then the ban went through. Then everyone's like, oh, <laughs> they're kind of pricey now. So it's kind of ridiculous when you look at how much they were before 2015. Then even people were dumping them right before, like the two Leonard girls I got. Like people lose their minds like when I tell them what I paid for them back then. Like no, uh, three twenty-five <laughs> shipped for both. Starting. <laughs> and yeah, the crazy wild. thing is, when I messaged him, he had, I want to say thirty, maybe high twenties, low thirties, whatever in the clutch. He sold that clutch up in I think twelve minutes. When I messaged him originally, he was like, "I was like, hey, I want a pair." Then he's like, it took him forever to get back to me because all these people are in. He's like, oh, oh, I have a females. And me being stupid, I didn't think I was like, oh, I'll just take two. I should have been like, dude, I'll take anything you have at the time. Um, but, you're, you're talking about yeah. going back all the way to 2015. If you don't mind, do you mind sharing kind of like when you got into retakes and just kind of that story and when you kicked off with them? Basically, my it, first. Yeah. Um, let's see here. This is pre-internet day. So <laughs> my first retake, I think I got in 91 or 92 when I was 11. When I got I it at a <laughs> yeah at a mom, basically a mom and pop like you know 
fish store that had a little like one cubicle like, reptile section. I picked up what ended up being a Sumatran, had that girl for about 15 years before I, I moved my entire collection out. So I started in about 91, 92-ish and had a collection until about 2004, right before I left for the military. And back then it was retics, red boas, like all the true BCC and BCI stuff and scrubs. Then I ended up selling the entire collection right before I went active duty Were after you college. Army, by the way? So, I've always meant to have this conversation yeah, with you, and I never did. did, but you were in the Army? Yep, did two deployments to Iraq, then came out, did police thing, did National Guard thing. Sweet. Now Appreciate I just do a snake thing. And I know you've mentioned in past videos that you wanted to eventually go back and get shot at some more. I'm I'm guessing now that you're married, that's uh, <laughs> behind you? or still Oh, no, maybe? I'd go back. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd leave everything. I so, believe it. I believe it. The wife knows. I've like I've already like Garrett's always, always like, hey, if you leave and you want to move stuff, <laughs> we can do permanent breeding loans here. I mean, You're like I've been training someone on the side. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like the snakes are great, but I mean, you know, there's things that you love to do, and other things that you would literally drop everything to do. So it's just I, one of I'd those love things. I love to hear that because I think there's so many people in the retake industry that end up revolving their entire life around the animals, and it's always important to realize. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. it's important to realize there are things outside of the love we have for these animals. Yeah, and I think the main issue a lot of people get burnt out. It's not necessarily like the workload. The workload's a lot, especially if you have big collections. You get burnt out because literally you're anchored to your house, your collection, you can't leave. You don't trust people to come over or and it's not even a theft thing. It's more of a hey, if I have someone so come over, I don't know if they have mice out. You know, like I don't have a lot of people yeah. coming to my house hardly ever. And it's not, it's never really a theft thing for me is, uh, oh, I know this person has a lot of animals. They turn over a lot of animals and I don't, I don't want that in my collection. Like, I don't really associate with anyone that I'm like, Hey, I don't trust them in my house type of thing. It's more like you deal with a lot of animals. You go to a lot of places that have animals. And like, I just don't want that in the collection, especially right now with me doing the new breeder room. Eventually, whenever that happens, I'm going to probably trim it down even more where I don't really let too many people in at all after that. Cause I'm hoping after I get that, my new breeder room set up. It'll be a completely closed collection after that. Nothing's going in because I pretty much have That's all the perfect. projects I need at this point. How, how far out are you on that new room? Because I know subject. you're almost doubling uh, tripling basically your, it was done. Then the That's contractor was not the best guy in the world. And I'm getting the whole thing redone on, on top of it being already redone like once or twice. It's just been a nightmare because you deal with alleged like licensed contractors that subcontract to a bunch of scabs and they ruin everything. Hey, <laughs> so, but you'll, you'll get it done right. And that, eventually. That's the one thing I respect yep. about you is like, you're, you're like right off the bat, you're not taking any shortcuts. Um, and, and that's, that's huge. I mean, it just goes to show how much you care about the animals and the investment that you're putting in. Well, that, and I think the big push for us to survive, especially in the retake game is you show out the outside world. Like, Hey, it's more than just breeding because breeding is cool. But from an outsider looking in for 99% of us, like, I don't really know too many people, if any, that do retics that keep it, like, in a naturalistic, like the Europeans. The Europeans are huge about nice, big, naturalistic, very nice, fancy-looking enclosures. Mo everyone here, for the most part, paper, maybe, you know, cocoa, repetitive, whatever. And it's functional, but f looking out from the inside or outside looking in, you're like, oh, that doesn't look like a lot of room or blah, blah, blah. And, like, for us to grow the community, you're like, hey, it's more than the breeding. Like, if you're doing it because 
you want to further what a project is great, but at the end of the day, like your passion for the animal should come first before, Hey, I'm gonna make X amount of dollars yeah. or whatever the project is. And I think my goal for the room is all the cages are enormous. Everyone that knows what I'm doing, they're like, why that's such a waste. You could put so many more cages or so many more animals. Like I don't want more. <laughs> Basically my room now is about, I think 165 square feet, give or take I'm going into like a 420 square foot room. And I'm going to cut my collection down by a third, if not more, because the cages are going to be eight by three, six by threes and five and a half by threes, plus my big 21 footer. So it's like, I don't want more animals. I want less, but I want everything. I'm going to shoot for bioactive and just see what happens. I either do great at it or I crash and burn. So we'll <laughs> love, see. love the mindset, do or die. Um, so you mentioned <laughs> about like talking about the community. So just as a reminder for you guys, like, subscribe, comment, subscribe on the Retake Lounge YouTube, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, and of course, join our Patreon for backseat access. We're starting to put some uh, videos and exclusive content on there for those of you that are part of it, and we have a great Discord chat. So cheers to you guys. Appreciate the support, and um, come be a retake launcher. Um, let's let's get into Kalatos, because this is what this is about, right? Um, so I, I'm curious to you, so you have... You were just sending me the pictures. I was asking for them. But how many different bloodlines of Kaltos do you have? And what I mean by bloodlines, just unrelated. Right now, I have the Leonard stuff, the TK stuff from two different people. One directly from Travis, another from Shannon Robke. Um, What else do I have? The stuff I produced from those pairings. Then I had the Wildcott. My Wildcott male was a dud. <laughs> I, I should have known it long ago because... He did seven different breedings for me. None of them panned out ever. So, and he eventually went to Garrett as just a pet because yeah. I was like, I don't need him. Then I had my wild caught girl that is basically the mom to my two 87.5% double head snail girls that hopefully will go this year. Then that's basically it. And I have like other pure SD stuff that to me, they look Kalatoa, but parents came in as 2003 imports, just pure SD. So I just call them SD instead of Kalatoas. So I, I, I want to. I'm going to kind of pull up the pictures that you have here um, that, that you sent me. And so let, let's talk first about that 2013 TK line Kalatoa. Um, so for those of you that aren't familiar, okay. TK line is Travis Cubis. Uh, he used to breed retakes a while back. Uh, and he has probably, we were just talking about this, what Eric and even myself and, and Nathan, I don't know if you agree, but probably the only established Kalatoa line out there because, you know, it, it's, one animal where you can look at and be like, oh, that's a TK line. Like they have that jagged triangular that kind of overlap, kind of like the zipper look that is that that goes down. Um, yep. A lot of them are very bright, vibrant and yellow when they're younger and then become extremely silver as they age. Um, and your female that I'm looking at here, how big is that girl? She's probably about eight and a half, nine feet. Okay. Um, and how many pairings or clutches has she done for you? Uh, I still see her. Four. Four? Awesome. So she's seasoned. Yeah. <laughs> um, now is the TK line, as far as the females go, the, the smallest of the yep. three lines yeah. that you work with? The Wildcat is the smallest, that girl, but I mean, she, when I got her, she was... I want to say six and a half years old at about five and a half feet, but 
Honestly, I think it's more because she was way, way underfed. The guy was trying to breed her, which feeding her, I think he was feeding her like a medium rat a month. <laughs> so oh, no. she, 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 it took her a minute to start breeding. Wow. And even she's produced three clutches for me. Every single clutch is two eggs. Is she the partho girl? The partho girl. And she's the mom to the two eighty-seven and a half, the double head snow girls. Basically, that was the only clutch, her first clutch. That has been viable. The other two, she partholed out because I ran that wild caught male twice, <laughs> and yeah, oh, she'd parthle out, and she'd produce a cup the two, and then they end up after about five six months, they just start having all kinds of issues and just pass. I mean, I, I'm almost wondering and thinking, um, Nathan, are you frozen or are you just sitting there stoic? <laughs> oh, okay, he's there. All right, no, I'm. I'm he looks just like looking the Joker the picture, with like half his face purple. <laughs> Together, <laughs> or not the Joker, but Two Face. Anyways, um, so um, do you think that partially the reason why she might not be a good breeder is because she like was very underdeveloped um, with her feeding early on? I mean, it's a possibility, just because I never really asked a guy how old she was when he got her, so I don't know. Like, he's you know twelve, thirteen years old, and depending on how, when she came in, if she was like a hatchling or if she was already kind of grunty you know so it's hard to say but yeah when i got her she was way thin and yeah it wasn't she wasn't in the best shape when i got her that's for sure i because i mean number one let's start off the bat like wild caught super dwarfs in general are not always easy animals to breed they've been known to be problematic and i know a lot of people have actually gotten out of wild caught like got out of the super dwarf game uh, I'm thinking of one breeder in particular just because they've had issues with egg bound or just not having good clutches, but um, it, that's in the back of my mind of whether diet had anything to do with it. A lot of people, you know, will get a hatchling and they'll ask me like, uh, hey, am I feeding it enough? And it's like a three-month-old hatchling and they're like, yeah, I'm feeding it a, a rat uh, a rat fuzzy every like two to three weeks. And I'm like, you got to get that digestive system going. Like you got to yeah. get food in that that baby's belly. Um so yeah, I'm wondering if that's a a contributing factor, or just could be one of those wild caught animals that are just extremely difficult to to breed. That, or even like you know, people that have worked with wild caught in the past, some of them just never acclimate. They might breed, but they might be poor breeders, or they're just very finicky. Like she never had an issue eating, but she just and you could like with she's basically the size of like a garden host. So she's naturally you know she'll slam jumbos, but she's naturally very thin. Wow. And half the times I'd be like. Oh, okay, she you know she's she's gonna lay. Then I'm like, because she'd lay the two good ones, and she'd lay almost. I think the most she had was like six others that they're almost about the same size. And I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of eggs coming out of something that small. But all those other eggs, they'd never vein. They'd just be yellow when you candle them from the get go. But I think yeah. it might just be a combination of maybe just malnourished those you know critical years initially when she was in country with the original owner. Then when I got her, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna do something. But I think it was maybe past the point of no return where whatever deficiencies she got, she had, and she wasn't going to get rid of. Yeah. So I sent the pictures over to Nathan. Nathan, if you have to pick one of his favorite calatones, which one would it be? I really like how silver some of those Leonard girls are and just how open the backs are. Um, but I mean, everyone, everyone seems to like the TK stuff. I don't know. I'm partial to more of that. Yeah. All the girls, even the TK girl in that picture, she's really brown. Every single one of them, when they fire up, they're like straight silver. 
Like I've always had people that will mess with me privately. Yeah. Are they Henry? No. Are you sure? Everything, every single girl I've ever had, I always run a visual Henry to. So I know if I'm after, whenever they breed, I'll, first breedings will be like whatever Henry, this or that, just so I know. And nothing's ever proved. I mean, I wish they did. Yeah. I actually have two of the girls that are just pure SCs, no locality label, that actually proved head Henry this past season when I ran two visual Henry males to them. And I was like, oh, okay, that definitely helps for in the future. Yeah, never also a bad thing to run a visual Anry whatever to a pure Superdor or a pure Calatona because you're going to end up having astronomical percentages. So it's really yep. a it's a win win there no matter what. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, what what's your favorite one yeah. to work with? Uh, for the Calatoas or? Yeah, for your Calatoas. I guess it depends on what what project you're plugging into. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, my big thing besides just making the pure Calatoas for diversity. The wild caught stuff is cool because they don't look like anything we have. Like even their head structure, like I don't know if it's from years of pushing or whatever when they were caught. Like that wild caught girl, the even that male is more kind of traditional looking, but that the girl's head, it has that weird like almost the whole front end's kind of like rounded and weird and kind of looks like not deformed, but it doesn't look like our typical like captive red stuff where they have that nice kind of like triangular kind of like arrow shaped head. So hers is kind of like bulbous and weird. And one of her daughters has the same head structure, which is kind of cool. Okay. Yeah. I would say on my wild caught girl, she also like her head is much different than the TK male that I have. Um, and, and I really think just like in general, when you're bringing in like, well, I'm sure if you go on Kalatoa Island, there's so many other animals that don't look like what we consider to be the Kalatoa type. Right. Um, I bet there's such a diversity of looking. And I almost wonder if we got into this like issue with importation, like, I mean, could you imagine being an exporter and you made a living, you know, not making a lot of money. You're, you're from the Island or you're, you're, you know, you're doing everything you can to collect snakes to make a tiny living and do that. And then you're importing snakes or exporting snakes into the U S and if a U.S. importer is like, that's not a Kalatoa, that doesn't look Kalatoa because of what we think Kalatoa looks like. Like, I, I'm wondering how that would impact them. So I wonder if almost we have what we have at the state because we weren't open to snakes looking any different. Or the opposite where they're collecting from anywhere and everywhere and just labeling them. Because right. we got to your early 2000s, the 90s, they came in as pure SD because back then there was a, a huge market for it. So you figure like everything goes, a lot of stuff goes through, you know, they're back in the day, like even I did some imports where Herbert Tafana with Duncan McCray when I was in high school, because back then <laughs> the laws were, let's just say very laxed and like we'd get stuff in, but like, I can only imagine like they even back then they're telling us, you know, there's a couple hubs and all these guys go out in the, you know, islands, jungles, wherever collecting t- and everything goes back to that hub from that hub is when they get labeled X, Y, Z, then they come to the States. So you figure after early 2000s when that push for the locality stuff came in, I can imagine, you know, like you said, they're not making a lot of money. Like, hey, I got this in Borneo, Java, whatever. Well, let's just label it this. I mean, I'm sure though, a lot of it is in a similar area just because, I mean, a lot of them are smaller. Obviously, you're not going to label a mainland and say, oh, it's an SD. But at the same time, it's like a lot of nondescript islands out there where they could be very distinct from each other, but they're just going to lump them together as Kalatoa, Karampa, Madu, or whatever. Yeah. And then there's also the whole debate if, if, you know, do we have Karampas here or do we have Karumpas? Like, right? Like, it's just, it's so, um, 
you know, we 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 believe what I think what we want to believe to make sure that we we feel what we have is legit. But at the same time, there was just so much going on. Like to what I was speaking to, I was talking to someone who has been around for a while, and he was saying, uh, you know, everyone like when you think of a Bali, what do you think of? Like, what's the first characteristic? Yellowhead. Yellowhead, right? But there's the entire northern side of Bali where there's silverheads. Yeah. And so we would get Bali's. He was saying that we would get Bali's into the United States with silver heads and the importers would go, that's not, that's not a Bali. It doesn't have a yellow head. And they would literally fire them, not get any more snakes from them. And so what, what he thinks a lot of people were doing was they were like getting yellow head animals that were from Java. Java has some yellow head animals and there's other islands that have some yellow headed animals and they would just get any snake with a yellow head and bring it in and say, this is a Bali yellow head. Yeah, I can totally see um, that. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting. Um, I really hope someone like goes out there and does the digging and research and actually tries to find out like what went down behind the scenes in the import export, kind of like one of those old Netflix documentary series. Someone just like went in, dug deep. Being as you've seen this for thirty years and you've been in and out of it, do you think any of that could be possible? I think a lot of it because like '90s, even like when I got back into reptiles in general, and like. 2012 and even back then there's like people i know that they would basically brown bag stuff and smuggle stuff in and random appliances this and that and like at the end of the day you look at you think of it like smuggling like someone that does drugs or this or that yeah you're gonna catch a couple but for the two three you catch there's probably another half dozen or more that get through and you figure like you know there's certain animals that we had here were like right after the bands like oh I was banned and we wish we could have got it. Then all of a sudden certain breeders like, Oh, look what I got. I got it before. The yeah, look, There's no way. Look what I've been hiding. Yeah. You're like, wait, that thing looks like it's a fucking hashing. What do you mean? You've had it for three years. Oh yeah. No, I've had it forever. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's, it, it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, I think right now our big push could be more like pure breedings just to keep everything legit in the future. But at the same time, mm-hmm. people just kind of like, the morphs are cool. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the morphs, but when when I did this in the nineties, there were no morphs. I think it's mid nineties. Jay had tigers, super tigers. Then later on, the albinos. But I was getting like I had, I think at my peak, probably about sixty or seventy retakes, and every single one of those were all imports. <laughs> They're meaner than That's shit. Awesome. Man. <laughs> it was like basically I go to LAX at fishing game there, and they're like, "Hey, what's that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's a retake." They're like, "Is it nice?" I'm like, "Nope." wait, how many do you have in that thing? Oh, just one. That big craze for one snake. I'm like, yeah. And this all kinds of... Don't you know they're big? (laughs) Yeah, and back then, it was like, you didn't, like, retakes were throwaway animals back then, you know? Just because, like, oh, they're mean, they're nasty, but, like, I got some crazy stuff. Like, I tried to find pictures on King Snake because I used to put stuff on King Snake when the internet started and all that. But, yeah, they had these crazy ones that I look back now, I'm like, oh, that's totally looks like a GS or that looks like, you know, maybe a Jag or something crazy from Malaysia and all this and all that. But who knows? That's pretty awesome. And back then you were just keeping it, them as pets? You weren't breeding them much? No, I was still breeding. Like when I got, I originally got, I think my first breeding was late 90s. I think it was my junior year. And it was, <laughs> it was funny because back then, like, I worked at Kalzoo in an intern, so I got had hookups with Vision back in the day. And back in the day, oh, okay, were, so that's why you're so partial. Well, I mean, Visions are functional to ex- an extent, but like back then, I was paying $150 for those 632s, and I'd get a rental oh, from 
you wow. can all drive up to Canoga Park, talk to, God, I can't remember his name, whoever was running it back then when they were in Canoga Park and just load up a U-Haul with my learner's permit because my older brother would go with me and be like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, Ty from Kalasu said you're going to hook me up. Oh, Scott, Scott, I got his last name. But yeah, I just get a bunch of cages and I use those cages all the way through. But when I was breeding, like I had one day, like I came home, I was like, I'm going to do an intro. And I had a probably a 15, 16 foot male tiger. And I had a probably 17, 17 and a half foot Sumatran. Like, oh, okay. Like come home for after school. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do an intro. I do an intro. They go batshit crazy. I shred each other to fucking high heaven. And I'm like, Ugh. oh, what do I do? I call my friend, you know, and on, on an actual landline because we don't have cell phones back then. And, and he's like, what, what are they doing? They're ripping each other apart. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I can see ribs and white meat and like organs and stuff. He's like, oh, that's not good. And basically he's like, Try to separate them. And back then, I used to play hockey. So I put my goalie helmet on, everything I'm all <laughs> running there. I grab them, <laughs> I separate them. And both snakes are thrashing around. The males sliced open, the females are sliced open. And I'm like, well, do I bring it to the vet? They're like, no, you can't because they're so amped up. If you touch them, it's going to be 10 times worse. He's all, spray mm-hmm. them down with betadine. Don't dilute it. Just, you know, the normal super dark, like dark, you know, iced tea looking thing. Spray it down betadine. That's what I use. And they're like, it'll go in a shed like tomorrow, the day after. And I'm like, what? And back then, like, you know, there was no internet. So it's kind of like, what do you mean? They're like any catastrophic injuries, they'll almost instantly go in a shed cycle. It's just naturally, that's how they heal. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. I don't know. So do it. Then literally two, three days, they both go in blue and eventually they completely healed. And if, you know, I didn't take pictures back then. Cause I didn't, you know, but literally you could see ribs, you can see all white meat and there's blood everywhere. And I'm like, Oh shit. I was like, you know, I think I was what 15, 16. I was like, what I do? Like, you know, I'm like, and eventually they healed. And I, I started, on real small meals, the first couple. Then after that, they shed. And down the road, it was crazy because when you looked at the pattern, everything was perfect. Like ye, the only thing was the patterns were offset. So basically, it was maybe like a quarter inch from where they should have matched on the patterns. It was just that, and that was the only thing. It was like, wow, that's crazy. They were literally because when the female bit the male, he rolled and he almost got disemboweled. Then he turned around, bit her, and she did the same thing. And I was just watching this. I'm like, hmm. Oh, what a, oh, wow. This, this is not what I expected. So, oh, geez. So, hey, what's crazy? All right. So, time to reinvest in some hockey gear. Haven't right. In a while. Yep. Seriously. Um, yeah, I'm from down south. People don't really play hockey too much. <laughs> no, but they're, they're incredibly resilient. Yeah. The male I used to breed my first pairing, he, as a hatchling, had pushed his face literally in half. I'll try to dig up the pictures so we can attach it. But, and when I went to breed him, he was, you would never known that he'd pushed his face. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, like one of the Mars I don't really like, I mean, they look cool, but I, I try to stay aware of super tigers. Cause I've had like, when I did the mainland stuff, super tigers are notorious for being pushers, like nothing, everything they could have siblings that are hundred percent legit, exact same setup. And that super tiger would literally smash his face up in like no time. When I produced really my last know. mainland pied clutch, like I think it was season before last, I had two super tiger pieds where like normally, like I just, you can tell by the, usually have that bent tongue or whatever. So they hatch out of the egg. I, I separate them after they hatch an individual um, freedom breeder, like the hatching tubs and stuff. And I come back the next day and the face is annihilated. I'm like, you're literally out of the egg for 12 hours and your face is gone. I'm like, this is why I don't do super tigers. But I mean, it healed yeah. up fine, but it just, they go into these weird, crazy cycles where they'll push and push, smash it up. 
then all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, I'm good for three, four months. Then for whatever reason, they do it again. And that, They're like, oh, that, that hurt. Let me stop. Yeah. No, I've like one of the breedings I did way back when I got back into it in 2012 was like, I think it was in 2013, 2014, uh, shooting for a lav, with a lavender Montley super tiger. And that was the only, you know, goal of that particular breeding. I got one female and she turned into me a horrible pitcher to the point where a year later, I call one of my friends. I'm like, hey, you want a snake? And they're like, what do you mean? They did retakes. I was like, hey, I have my lavender Motley Super Tiger. And they're like, isn't that your one holdback? And I clutch me, yeah. I was like, you can have her. I don't want her. <laughs> and they're like, why? I'm like, I can't stand that on again, off again, pushing, smashing your face up. It just, that stuff drives me crazy. Please take her. Yeah. Yep. I feel that. Um, I had a uh, mainland. <clears throat> I bought it as an orange glow, but ended up turning out to be a purple. Um, and um ended up uh, rehoming him but he was an avid avid pusher and i mean everything i did small enclosure big enclosure i tried basically just about everything and he'd go through his cycles um he ended up doing better in a three four in a three foot uh, hefty tub is where i could get him to stop pushing and i was like you know what let me just i'm gonna rehome him let people know what the issue is and um just because I had no breeding intentions and he was just an animal that my stress would be through the roof every day. Yeah. In. Uh, it's unfortunate, but um, I wanted to ask you, so I, let's, let's talk about Kalatoa size because I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this, but I see a lot of people on the super door free thick page that, that, you know, we're all fairly active on. Um, and I, 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 I see so many people getting into this, um, Thinking that a pure superdor, and we're talking about Kalatoas here. So, in your experience, a pure Kalatoa, what do you think is the expected size range, a realistic size range from hatchling all the way to mature, mature adulthood? And, like, what do you consider like an adult? Like, is an adult a breeder or is an adult whatever no, age? Like, I want you I'd to say, talk about. In my opinion, I'd say as an adult, you're looking at probably eight plus years. Because if you're talking breeder for males, I mean, if you're trying to crank out that male, he can breed for you theoretically in probably 18 months, maybe a little sooner, give or take. The girl is about four and a half to six years they'll breed. But I think the big issue is most people getting into it. They're like, hey, you know, so-and-so said this animal's going to get X amount of feet, which first off, like, I've never, ever told anyone any of my animals will get X amount of feet. I'm like, these are the ages of the parents. This is the size. And they're still going to grow. So, you know, most of my breeders are pretty young. They're probably anywhere from six to maybe eight or nine years old at that. So it's not, it's still got a couple more years of growing. But the issue is, I think everyone sees their breed, people's breeders as thinking, oh, okay, they're topped out, not even close. Cause everyone's like every first time breeder animal, female obviously, is going to be much smaller than she's going to be in another five, 10 years if they live that long. Cause honestly, some people are like cranking these animals out. And they're like, oh, you know, I've bred her three, four years in a row. First off, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. Impressively stupid in terms of, like, you obviously, all you're doing is trying to crank out babies for sale and this and that. Because, like, the stress yeah. on that animal to be breeding nonstop, continually, like, especially at that young of an age. Like, you know, and I've talked to people and they're like, oh, no, they're fine. I'm like, they're fine until they're not. And if you actually care about the animal, like, none of my stuff, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you can start cycling them by food like all my stuff like i've told people i was like you can watch you know watch their behaviors and a lot of the girls you have you raise them up they're normal then all of a sudden when they start getting ready to breed they get crazy food driven driven and they'll start being super bitey like say then 
normal meal lasts them where four or five days, six days, they don't care. When they start getting ready to breathe, like three, four days later, they're striking. You're like, what the hell? They're not aggressive. They're just, their body is telling them, hey, I need the calories, which is fine. But I don't purposely say, hey, I, at this day on this month, I'm going to start slamming them with food. Like I have my breedings listed for the whole year, like years ahead. But it's like, I'm not pushing anything. It's like, okay, here's my list of animals I want to breed. If they go, great. If they don't, but everyone's on the same cycle until they get super food driven, then I'll bump it up. Like I don't do bigger meals. I just do more, more frequent. But yes, I mean, a lot of the Kalatoas I think are going to probably realistically, I'd say you're looking at anywhere from eight foot, probably about 12. The males on the smaller end, females on the bigger, especially the way people are feeding them. Because I've told people, I was like, these are pretty arboreal. I mean, if you look at, say, green tree pythons, I'm like, they eat, then they take forever to poop. And all these people are like, no, my stuff poops in three or four days. What are you keeping? Oh, I have a 90 degree hot spot or 95. I'm like, oh my God, I'm surprised that thing's not dead. It's like, of course, you're going to pass the food. And, you know, if you have it super warm, they're not going to, you know, retain any of the nutrients from it, but they will pass it extremely fast and be hungry again because you're basically cooking that animal. So I was like, even with my incubation now, like when I first started mainlands and even when I started doing the SD stuff, I used to um, incubate at 88, 89-ish. Now I do 86 and a half, give or take, and it takes longer, but all the animals come out perfectly fine. They're, they look, they're not as wiry and crazy as like when I had them at higher temps, those hatchlings come out super spastic, like crazy, like, you know, a garter snake or all like, you know, now a lot of them are super mellow. I'm not sure if it's a temperature thing, but they're not as crazy. And I think a lot of it is like everyone's pushed to get, you know, to breed is going to negatively affect size down the road where people are like, Oh, you know, this animal is huge. Yeah, but you can tell it's not natural because the majority of retics, unfortunately, are completely and totally pinheaded. Like most retics, yeah. if you ever see like wild pictures or even old school. Their necks um, are like this. Day, yeah, they have huge, massive heads compared to the rest of like normal pythons, which is one of the distinct things back in the day when I was a kid. You know, you see a, a big retic at the zoo that would have this giant head. And you're like, wow, that's the craziest thing ever. But now everyone's retic super pinheaded you're like dude that head looks like it should be on a four foot animal but that thing's like 12 feet oh i'm feeding it like five pound rabbits you're like what the hell <laughs> and unfortunately i guarantee you the sd world is going to go the same way because the mainland guys unfortunately that haven't switched or won't switch they have two options and you see it every single day is you have the guys that are getting into it because they know hey the sd is probably going to be future for retakes that's where the market's for, going yeah but then you see the other mainland guys like hey i'm not going to do that I'm just going to sling a bunch of bullshit and say, I have a really small mainland female that's, you know, is SD adjacent. It's pretty similar. <laughs> no, oh, it's, oh my God. That's my, that's my thing, right? You, it, see it, if you breeder, selectively breed mainland and you, you yeah. like, it's, it's crazy to think that you can selectively breed a mainland through getting smaller mainlands that you're manipulating through giving it no food, that it's going to be smaller than a super dwarf. That, and you have these people saying, you know, this is the first clutch. So, you bypass evolution in one breeding and these that clutch is not even adult size yet you're saying they're going to be comparable to sd which is just mind-boggling it just yeah yeah people don't realize it took thousands of years for evolution to take place for these kalatoas to end up being eight to twelve foot animals yep um and and i mean even and i would even venture to say on the islands they're probably smaller because they literally have even more sparse food and everything but because we're here in captivity and because we don't want to deal with a psychopath animal right? Like, yeah. we don't want to deal with an animal that's hungry 24-7. We're feeding them a little bit more often, 
you know, maybe a little bit bigger food than what they're getting in so in captivity. We are seeing them get a little bit bigger, but um, I'm glad that you mentioned that eight to 12 foot for female range because um, I stopped getting into these arguments online because I just realized like a year and a half ago, just, I don't even change, bother for it. Because... You, can't, you can't change someone's mind on the internet. And I, I had one dude try to tell me that he bought an animal for so-and-so and because it's a pure male Kalatoa, it's going to get max at six foot. And I was like, mm. how do you know that? Like, yeah. Number one, six foot, I get, like a six foot retake curled up is like my hand. Yep. Like it, it's like, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think realistic expectations of what you should expect in a Kalatoa. I kind of agree with you, Eric. I think that at eight to 10 years old, your female is going to be around the eight foot mark or pushing more to the 10 um, you saying 12, I was surprised to hear you that. I've I've seen pictures of 12-foot Kalatoas, and I know that they're out there. Um, but, yeah, I think on the bigger end, you're looking in between 10, 11, and then, yeah, some can definitely, yeah. some outliers. They're definitely going to have, we definitely have some that are much bigger or smaller than others. But at the same time, it's like, I think the issue we'll run into, a lot of people that are going to get them, especially people switching from mainland to ST stuff, they still have that mainland mentality in terms of feeding, which... It's kind of like a catch-22. It's like, we're not going to have competition for breeders because their shit's not going to breed. It's just way obese. But at the same time, it's bad for the animal. And the thing is, for all the legitimate new people getting into it that see some, you know, even if it is a legitimate Kalatoa, that thing looks like it's on its deathbed where it looks like it's rolling along because it's so overfed. And, like, some of the groups, you'll see people like, oh, I'm feeding this, like, every five or seven days. I'm like, I mean, I my hatchment, I feed it about probably – Every seven to ten days, sometimes my schedule is weird, yeah. and I totally forget. And I'm like, "Oh, I've gone two weeks. They're perfectly fine. They're not dying." And it's weird, honestly, because my pure stuff, my all the like the SD crosses, the morphs and stuff, will literally start pushing and get super food aggressive. The pures, for whatever reason, when I accidentally don't beat them, they still they're they're same, super chill, mellow. They don't push. They just hang yeah. out and they're like, "Yo, when are you gonna feed me?" Whereas whatever cross I have, that survival they go mentality. absolutely crazy. Where they're like, "Feed me, feed me," and the peers like, eh, he went a week, he forgot about us, but like they're super chill still. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had that F1 clutch in February and it didn't matter how long I went without feeding them. I can open the pound and put my hand there and they the first thing they want to do is just smell me. Or yeah. hide. Like or hide. Like they they it, I, I literally most of them I had to put the food in front of their face and do this for them to be like, oh, <laughs> like food. Right. Yeah. Um most of my peers historically probably been better feeders than any of the crosses i've done they've taken frozen thawed from the get-go i don't need to like switch live be frozen and all that stuff like all my calatellas knock on wood i don't know if it's just my luck or they're just they're very very eager to eat and like they don't have issues with that at all whereas i've had some of my crosses where i've gone two months three months where like i don't assist feed like i literally free stuff because in my mentality if you're that genetically inferior you don't know what food is I don't want to pass that on to a customer down the road. So it's one of those things where, you know, so it is what it is. That was a funny way of wording that you don't know what food is. Um, But yeah, I, I, I tell people I had one problematic uh, baby for my the F1 Calatello clutch. And um, what I mean by problematic is that it refused its first three meals only. Like yeah, three meals is nothing. Like it literally within the span of two weeks after after it shed, and it was yeah, it was no big deal. Um, what what what's a range that you can expect for a male? Is that in the same eight to twelve foot range? 
No, I mean, it depends because like, I think most of us in general, in terms of like what we keep, a lot of it is geared toward breeding. So our feeding cycles kind of, re you know, reflect that where we all know, like, you don't need a big male to be a successful breeder. And in terms of oh, some people hedge their bets where like, oh, if this guy is, once he's mature, he might go crazy. I mean, it's a possibility. It probably won't happen. But at the same time, it's like, if I can have a nice, lean, small male that would do the same exact job as a big male, that the big male might not be as energetic, like breeding purpose-wise and in terms of like, you know, percentages and getting successful locks and clutches, I'd err on the side of caution is keep them smaller. Not that I'm starving them, but at the same time, it's like that Calatola male, the one I sent you a picture of, he's, what is he? I think a 2017, I think. Which one are you referring to? That, that way I can put this up on the video for the people. PK male from um, Shannon Ropey. He's okay. super small. He's probably, I can, I, have, I can look at my record, but I think he's a 2017, I think. And he's probably, he's probably five, maybe five and a half feet. He's on medium yeah, rats. Yeah, he looks tiny. He's on medium rats and he's sired, let's see here. One, he sired three clutches for me so far. And he's perfectly fine. Like, he, like, I'm sure if I, I mean, if I offered him like a jumbo rat every week, he'd obviously take it without any hesitation. But do I need to? No, a jumbo rat looks, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure a jumbo rat leaves a big uh, love with him. For those of you that are watching, we're going to have this Sunday. We'll have him pulled up here for you guys to see. Um, he's an awesome-looking animal, has that typical TK, you know, zigzag pattern, has those beautiful yellows and the silver side uh, flames that, that come up. Um, and, yeah, he, he's an exceptional-looking Galatoa. I mean, that that's what you want to, I mean... I'm interested if you can later confirm what year he is. I mean, but yeah. even if he's a 2017, that that's a that's a good size. Um, you know what you want and to see. Is out of he the sitting in an? Is he sitting in an FB70? No, FB40. FB40. Okay. Wait, is it 40? So even smaller. Uh, wait, no, I'm trying. Yeah, FB40. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Um, so most of my let, males in general, or I've like. I've had a great success with them being way smaller. My only big concern is like I've like last season I did a breeding loan with Andrew Acevedo with his 75% Kalatoa Madu Phantom Sun Tiger Head Henry. And that male is probably I'd say maybe seven feet, give or take. Mm -hmm. And I ran it to my 62.5% Reed um, Marble Platinum Head Henry. And she's a legit 14 foot. Like she, she can take eight pound rabbits, nine pound rabbits, no problem. But I mean, still, you got the job done. It's one of those things where it's more manageable, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I've always, I've only tried it twice where I've ran males that were much bigger than females and they were never successful. Whether the females freak out or the males just get too aggro on a, on a tiny little girl, I don't know. But like most of the time, my males are considerably smaller than my breeder females. Now, a, a question I have for you is, what if you have a female that's staying smaller, like reaches that four and a half, five year mark, still staying almost, almost the size of that male TK that we were just pulling up? Okay. You, you raise it a few more years before you try anything, right? Yeah, I wouldn't like, like I said, I don't push anything. Like, I have one girl right now, it's kind of funny because like, she has a lineage, she's a 37 and a half percent. Um. SD, uh, Calatoa locality, Mochino, Pasadena girl, right? From, mm -hmm. uh, was it? I think February, 2014. 
I've tried five years in a row to breed her, nothing. And she's probably a legitimate 15, 16 foot animal. She's massive. Like she'll take 12 pound rabbits, but like, and like, you know, I got those. Yeah. People see it and they're like, wait, I thought you only had one mainland. I'm like, no, she's FD. (laughs) Like, wait, (laughs) she's huge. But at the end of the day, it's like, I've tried everything to breed her. She, like I said, five and a half years, like she's had locks before with my purple snow male for a couple of years. Would never ovulate or never cycled. So, but it's kind of like, I'd wait and just kind of like, I'm not trying to, like, I want her to go just because my luck, I'll sell her, then she'll prove it head entry for someone. <laughs> so it's basically, say, send, send her to me to the ambient world and let me try the ambient magic that's working so well. But yeah, I mean, if for your, to answer your question, Nathan, yeah, I just wait. I mean, it's one of those things where. I mean, that's, that's been my thing. Like, I'm not going to push anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I have other other snakes I can run if I really do feel like breeding and I'm only going to breed if it feels right and everything's yeah. going. And right. that, honestly, like, I tell people, because, you know, some people are always like, oh, I got to breed, I got to breed. It's like, that extra year is not going to hurt you. It's literally going to help you because if she's more mature. You'll save that animal. You'll some, save that animal. Some years. And honestly, like, people don't see it this way, but. In terms of longevity of breeding, you're only helping the situation. Because if you rush it, yeah. you're literally going to shorten her productivity and possibly her life for what? For one clutch, uh, her first, that might not even be that great to begin with because she's too small or too this or too that. That extra year is just, it's only going to benefit yeah. you and the snake. I, I and, and that kind of brings me back to something you were talking about earlier when you're saying, you know, you'll see people cycling a female and running her two, three, four seasons, whatever in a row. And cool, you're producing all these animals. But what do you think realistically is something the animal can healthily take? I mean, ideally on mine, like, like I said, I don't really push anything to go, but I'll, if I've for the ones that have gone like back to back, I'll give them a year or two off. Mm-hmm. Like I had the one clutch where the 75% uh, Kalatoa 12 and a half gen double head snow grow. She bred, she produced a clutch for me, uh, December, 2020. And before that she didn't breed for three and a half years. <laughs> like she produced my first ever snow. Then she produced my purple juicy snows. And that was back to back years. Then she had three and a half years off for whatever reason. And the whole time, like I just feel like, okay, well, she's not going, okay, whatever. And just, you know, it is what it is. Maybe I could have pushed it, but why? You know, this is one. So your philosophy is only pair if really the female is showing signs of wanting. Yeah, to. like I don't like. I'm not slam. Like I know some people. They're like, hey, every whatever August or you know, beginning of September, I'm slamming everything with food nonstop, regardless if they're ready mm-hmm. to go. I'm like, yeah, I don't do that. To me personally, like back when I was running like higher temps, like when I was in Arizona and I tried Ambien for a little, like they'd process the food and this and that, but for the ones that go great but a lot of times the clutches aren't the best and at the end of the day if you look at the numbers in terms of all the extra expenditures on food cleaning this and that compared to hey i'm just gonna wait and let it happen naturally if she goes she goes if you're like the clutches are better the you know babies are more viable it's like if you're in it for quality there's a big difference between mass producing for like say if you're wholesaling stuff you're like you don't really care but if you're like i'm doing two or three breedings every like a year if that max then then why push it? Like give her that yeah. extra year to get, you know, the, the, you know, lean muscle mass to get more follicles to get, you know, bigger and healthy. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot that goes into that besides cleaning and feeding. Yeah, you're, exactly. you're constantly exercising your snakes, making sure that their body tones up. Yeah. I'm sure you're, you have a visual standard of what you want their muscle tone to look exactly. like. Exactly. 
I, and I, I can speak to like, so, um, and I know this is talking about another locality, but my Kaiwati, like she just laid her first clutch at four and a half years old, but I did try getting her to go a year prior and I started hitting her heavier with food and realized that she wasn't going. And so I pumped her off and slowed her down big time with food um, and was just like, you know what, I'm not going to force her into doing this. I'm just going to give her another year. And then come when I switch her into the garage, um, I started noticing when I put her in the garage food. I mean, she she I've had her since she was three, four months old, and she's never, ever bitten a hook and wrapped it. And she did that like two times. And I was like, all right, like, let's start increasing food and doing that. And I, I mean, just from waiting that year and holding off, she made 25 perfect eggs. Yep. I think yeah, honestly, so- like for most people, you don't need to food cycle them. Like if you pay attention to your animals and you actually, you know, know your animals, 100% they will give you signs of, hey, I'm ready to start eating more because I'm getting ready to build. Because other, I don't think I've ever had any girl where I was like, oh, I have a surprise clutch. <laughs> and like every girl, like their behavior changes if you pay attention to each and every animal. Because like I have siblings, like the two purple GC snow girls, like they're all super calm and mellow. But when they start building, they get stupid food driven work. I have them in visions right now, and it's a four stack. So the top stack, top cage is probably, I don't know, six foot, give or take a little over. And last year when she was breeding, she, her, she's like 10 feet. She flew out of that cage completely and flopped on the ground. I'm like, okay, she wants to eat. It's just one of those things where it's a very noticeable signs of them being like, okay, I want more calories in because I need the calories right now. And, and if you pay attention to that, you shouldn't have any problems. I don't know if you have the same experience, but all of my females that I've noticed when they uh, start to get into that breeding mood, anytime I touch them with a hook or I go to grab them, they're they're always they just they're more flinchy. They're yeah. more flinchy. They're sensitive. They're they they just don't want to be touched. And that's another big sign for me that I noticed with my wild caught Kalatoa yeah. and my Kaiwati. Um, when they when they cycle like, and I put my you know, and I use polycarbonate hooks, so they're not even like metal and cold. So they're, they're room temperature, and, um, you know, as soon as you touch them with anything, they're just like, whoa, like, they, they're just, they, yep. their behavior changes completely. They're a little bit more spastic. Um, they're, they're definitely more food-driven. Um, so, yeah, those are all extremely good points of just, yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, and I think we talked about this in one of our previous episodes, but, like, if you just spend enough time with your animals and observe them and you're in your snake room every day, you're going to be able to tell when you have an animal that's ready to breed because the behavior change is pretty drastic. Absolutely. Um, I think we would, we wouldn't be doing our listeners any justice if we didn't like go over this in more detail. I know we've talked a little bit about feeding, but can you tell us for your Kalatoa specifically, your hatchlings all the way to your adults? I get questions all the, all the time about like how often they feed, the size that they feed, the lumps that they leave. Like, can you tell us with your Kalatoa specifically, what your feeding regiments like all the way from like hatchling and to your adults that are, you know, 2013s, nine years old. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. I start them off on mice fuzzies, frozen thawed. Most of them, I don't really have issues with them not taking frozen thawed. And usually for the first about four or five meals, I'll try to do it every four or five days. Once I know they're on food and like food's not an issue in terms of they knowing what to do with it. I'll bump it back about every seven to 10 days for the first year. At that point, at a year old, I'm probably, I usually switch them to over to rats, usually either a larger rat pinky or a smaller rat fuzzy, depending on the particular animal. And at that point, from a year to two, um, usually about every seven to 10 days, then depending on 
when they actually switched to pups. I think I've had some of my Calicoas at about a year and a half that stayed on the mice fuzzies just because they, either they were smaller or they were fine with it. Like I said, most of mine, even though when I do the extended meals, like after, you know, the first six months or whatever, they're not food driven. They're not aggressive. And I take them out. They're all super chill. I've had people that got animals from me. They're like, this thing is not biting. I'm like, no, it's super cool. And it's one of those things where some animals I've had to feed more often just because like individual, you know, traits where they're like, you know, they need to eat. So you're like, okay, well, uh, your, your schedule is going to be a little different from everyone else's. But let's say like that male I have right now, that one from Shannon, he gets a medium rat about every two weeks, give or take. The My uh, breeder females right now, non-breeding season is usually one jumbo rat every anywhere from 10 to 14 days. Once they start getting ready and they're starting to get more food, you know, driven, I would bump it up to usually about once every seven days. Sometimes I got to do it more just because like I've had times where Last season, the one of the Leonard girls was knocking all her teeth out because on the lips on the top of the vision cage, she'd bite and like she does this thing where she'll bite the bottom lip and her mouth is open and does like a Pac-Man all over. And I could literally hear the crunching. I'm like, I really don't want to have to pin you down and rip out all your broken teeth. So I was, I was literally feeding her like, I think every five days for about four or five meals for her to be like, okay, now I'm good. So like, like I said, a lot of it's individual where you have a general gen, generalized plan for most animals. It works great for a majority of them, but then you'll have that mm -hmm. one off or that animal. It's just, you got to be very particular about that animal because either the food drive is super high or it just needs a massive amount of calories nonstop for X amount of weeks before it goes, okay, now I'm cool again. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, my, my wild caught. I will like when she lays, I, I feed her jumbo rats. Um, for like the next three to four months and when her food response starts to get intense i'll i'll I switch her over to rabbits just because i have a local okay. source and and um the local sources I, I can get them way cheaper than what a jumbo rat i can get them at two dollars and 25 cents a pound nice um and so um what i've done with some of my my pure localities that i have whether it's calico or not um I, i'll give them smaller meals every two weeks or so but then sometimes i like to switch it up and i'll give them a, a really big bill that leaves a big month like once a month okay um and and I, I i like the result that i've seen with that because i i feel like that actually curbed their their uh feeding response for a longer period of time um and what's crazy is i keep my animals in ambient um so like it's it ranges from 80 81 to 84 degrees they don't have a hot spot and sometimes they're sometimes it takes them seven days to crap sometimes it takes them literally like two days it, it's the weirdest thing um, but it, it, it'll fluctuate. Um, but yeah, no, I like, I like your feeding regimen in the sense of, of your, 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 what I love what you do is you pay attention to your snake's behaviors and that dictates how much you're going to feed them. Right. Yep. Yeah. Cause I mean, I used to do that thing where like, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, every like you're set, like every Wednesday or Friday or whatever your particular schedule can do that. Then after a while, like if you have one or two snakes or three or four, that's fine. But when you're talking about, you got like 40, 50, 60 animals, that gets super pricey. Then it gets to the point where like literally you're feeding or cleaning poop nonstop. Then when you realize it's not benefiting you and the snake's not burning off all the extra calories, you'll start seeing those chunkier snakes and you're like, okay, well, I'm causing an issue that I can either, you know, prevent now and start minimizing it by cutting it way back and doing what I need to adjust, or you're going to end up with a bunch of snakes that won't breed for you, you know? 
I think a lot of it too, like even I, for a while, like out here, I think I was doing pigs every so often because I had a pig guy out here Then I don't have a pig guy now. Eventually I'd like to do birds. Like once I get everything, do quail or this or that, just change it up. I love, mm-hmm. I love the poultry stuff. I love, I mean, chicken, quail, um, and, and my snakes, as a matter of fact, um, I, I've had a handful of snakes where I, I give them five, six, you know, chickens or quail in a row. And um, they, they get stubborn with the rats that I feed them. They like think about it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, no, you're not, we're not doing this right now. Um, but yeah, the, the snakes love the chicken and quail. Um, and right now with how crazy expensive rats are, um, I, I've been feeding a lot more chicken and quail because I get the same size um, for, for, you know, a fraction of the price that you're getting rats at. Nice. Yeah. The one thing I have noticed, like all the SD girls, they absolutely go crazy for pigs. Cause I was getting these oh, like yeah. half pound, three quarter pound stuff. And they, yeah. Yeah, they would go absolutely crazy for it. Like once you start, cause I defrost it and then adjacent from bathroom, they, you know, you smell it in the room and everyone just gets switched on. And like the way they hit those pigs are 10 times harder than they've ever hit any other rats when they get fed rats or whatever. But yeah, the pigs, like they absolutely love the pigs for sure. I do pigs when I'm cycling up to breed, like when I notice that change of behavior and they're wanting more food. I use the pigs just because they're much higher in calcium content. Yep. And I, 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 and theoretically, that's you know, I, you know, calcium is what the eggshell is highly based off of, and so I do that. And um, I did that the second year my wild caliper went, and I noticed that her eggs were a lot more durable and nice. not as soft. That first year that I broke apart those eggs, they were super delicate and then i cycled her with pigs the next year um and they were normal just easy to pull off um so rounding this out eric i kind of want to go into some of these pictures that you sent over to lucas of the different lines you have here and uh just go over some of your favorite features maybe size pattern whatever it may be about these different uh that you have okay so let's start off with that uh, TK. Uh, the, Lucas, you're going to have to give more detail. Yeah, so I have it here in front of me. So um, I mentioned this earlier on, and we'll have this up for people to see. But this is a, a beautiful TK female. If you look at like the rest of the pictures that will show up, this is a more brown individual that has a lot more of the orange tones. Um, she has rosettes, those white rosettes that seem to be a little bit more spaced out. Um, she has that typical jigsaw pattern. Um, along the line and what I mean by that is like there's almost these perfect triangular reticulated diamonds think think of a diamond here I am going to go make shapes again so you have a diamond right and then cut it in half and then like stagger them Nathan stop laughing at me um, so, Lucas really likes to draw shapes with yeah, his fingers I don't, on I don't know show. I'm trying to do a diamond but like the, <laughs> the diamonds like this instead of being perfectly yeah, so I mean, talk about her a bit in terms of like what your look is, comp- uh, what your favorite look is compared to the other ones that we'll show. What are your thoughts about her? Like, that male and her down the road, I'd love to try to make that and make it more like exaggerated, more extreme where that goes up because a lot of that offset triangular patterns you're talking about is like the last third of her. I'd love mm-hmm. to have that where it was more on her. Like, I think that thing would look crazy if that was like say half her length of her body where the and the dorsal patterns, all that triangular, you know, offset pattern all the way up, I think would look amazing. Like with her and that male, eventually that's like probably, because I'm not doing any pure breeding this year, I'll probably be shooting for those two to um, pair up next season. 
And that'll be what I'm going for to try to like make that exaggerate that pattern as much as I can and see if it, you know, if it gets any longer or like thicker because they both have that really nice, like two scale wide, um, you know, the black outline on it, which is really cool. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and what's crazy is that a lot of people tend to generalize Calatoas as not having like the super dwarf localities in general don't have a lot of the thicker blacks don't have a lot of like that that bold color but this tk female that we're looking at right here when you get to her midsection and you see the outline of those jagged you know triangular diamond patterns she's got plenty of bold black yep. um, I, I i think that she would actually so i know platinum pulls away a lot of that like black and it things it out I feel like I feel like taking platinum to this female would would actually uh, would be really good because it would keep a lot of some of that that like black detail that gets stripped away from platinums, um, and so that way you could get a little bit more of the black patterning in in, in outline in a platinum. Um, but yeah, she's she's awesome. Is that that's who you're taking the ocelot to eventually? uh no right now i have a pure sd girl that has that really thick black pattern that's okay and she's what she's six and a half years old she produced that my 84.375 sd the Andy marble platinum or posset purples from this past season so basically i'm gonna run him to her just because she has a really thick black outline kind of like that tk girl and with the ocelot being very like you know that contrast is amazing on him and with that thickness I want to see if hopefully it, it translates silver well. Yeah. And is she Leonard or Wildcott? Uh, her parents were just 2003 imports. So, okay. And the thing she's is, like, I have, yeah, she's a pure super door. If I have three from that clutch from Brian's um, Samala, Kamala, depending on how you say his last name. And all three mm -hmm. of those girls are smaller than any of my locality labeled stuff. Send me send me a picture that we could use while while we're talking about this, so that I could also pull up this pure superdorf girl. I think it'd be cool for people to see the pure superdorf that's not uh, that that's not labeled Calatoa, just to give a little comparison. Because okay. I, I'm what's going to be awesome is that as we start to show show more of these animals, um, you know, on, on the video for those of you that are watching on YouTube, um, you'll just see that like, you know, there's a lot that goes to show that like. Yes, you want to have this typical look for a Kalatoa. Like, clearly, if it looks like a Slayer or not a Kalatoa, you could be pretty damn sure it's not a Kalatoa, right? Yeah. Um, but, like, there's just a vast difference. I want to go to the, the next one, the Leonard girl. Okay. Um, and, and we've talked about her and pulled her up. But if I had to pick a favorite out of all of your Kalatoas, this is my back. girl. This, this is my, the one with the open back. If I, if that I... Loves her. <laughs> If you were in a position where you, you know how you said like you're either gonna like boom or bust in terms of like how you keep your animals, it's gonna make uh -huh. or break it. Like if there's any animal, if you were to go back overseas and start, you know, defending our country, you're to go do whatever, and you want to do permanent breeding loans, this would be the female that I'm like <laughs> send to me. Like don't send <laughs> it to anybody. When she fires up, it's absolutely just mind blowing. Like. There's times I'll go in the room at night and I'm like, it just like, even my wife's like, my wife's not really a big snake person. She like, likes them more and more and stuff, but she's like, wow, that thing is like literally pure, like silver and black. It's like, it's just mm -hmm. ridiculous how, how much she fires up. So this girl's a 2015, very Leonard, 
I want to get one of his bloodlines. Um, I'm almost like peaked out of what I want to work with Kalatoa, but I do want to get the letter bloodline and, and hopefully an animal from this girl specifically. You, if you guys that are looking, you can see it has a wide open back, doesn't have that triangular look like the Kalatoa does. Um, it's almost like if there was some form of like Kalatoa that could potentially be like, uh, like, like as close to genetic stripey as you can with a Kalatoa. Mm-hmm. It just has that wide open pattern. And then what I love about her side flames, that silver, when my girl fires up, my wild cock girl, her side flames are exactly the same. And she has a high saddle count, just like my wild cock does. Nice. You can see the whites that are just in there over and over again. Um, and what I love about her is her, the shape of her head has that nice Kalatoa triangular yeah. look to her that you Very see. Very spearheaded. Yeah. Not as, not as uh, wide as that TK girl, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I were to choose a line of uh, or uh, Kalatoa, sorry, because uh, I'm late to the game. I I only have cross stuff right now. I think it would be some of the Leonard stuff, especially if it could be yeah. from this girl. It's just it's weird to me because like I know that clutch was a big clutch when he sold it, and like I have no idea. Like I've tried to find other people, and no one's ever said anything. And like I know, obviously, I have my two girls, and God, I wish I would have just message of him like hey i'll, I'll buy the whole clutch from you <laughs> back then right but i don't because i know like even after he sold the clutch someone on the nation ended up picking up the, the actually the parents and like that was years and years, like that was around 2015 when that happened but yeah i have no idea what ever happened to siblings or the parents or whatnot that's unfortunate yeah i have i have a four and a half year old girl from daniel solis and okay. neither one of us could figure out you know, where half the clutch is yeah. right now. So you said that original TK girl that we first started talking about was about eight feet. About, yeah, eight and a half or so. Yeah. How how big is this, uh, the, the first 2015? Because we're going to show a second 2015 Barry Leonard girl that he has that looks completely different. But the one that we're talking about now with the open back pattern. He's probably about, nine and a half, probably about nine and a half, ten feet, give or take. Okay, that's about the size of my, my wild cut. Um, your girl looked a little bit um, thicker than well, well. I mean, your girl just had a meal. I can see that she has a meal in her belly right there. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of size, looks pretty similar to to mine. Um, all right, so now the third one in the picture, Nathan. Are you? Do you have it up? Yeah, I have it. Go ahead and describe that very letter line, especially compared to the other one. I mean, I'd say as far as the saddles and everything go, uh, just the the reticulated pattern, it's a lot more similar to what you see with the TK line. Um, you Not as much of the alternating uh, zigzag pattern that you got on that TK girl, but uh, I'd say quite a bit more silver. Yeah. 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 Um, I, and I keep referencing my, my adult Kalatoa, but if I had to pick any of your Kalatoas that had the same pattern as mine, um, it would be that one right there. Um, it, it's like, there's almost like a zigzag look, but it's not so much that perfect, you know, diamond, you know, stagger yeah. type of look. Nor she, is there the wide open back. Exactly. Um, but she also has a good saddle or a good rosette count on the side that I like a lot. Um. And some of them are elongated as well. How big is she? She looks pretty small. She's probably about a foot smaller than sister, give or take. Same oh, food. That's a direct sister? Yeah, they're they're same clutch. Shut up. Yeah. Wow. 
just goes to show you variability just within the clutch can be Dude, crazy. that is so cool because I, I guarantee you if you like anybody who's like just new into superdors and like loves Kalatoas, like if you if they saw that animal they'd be like that's not a Kalatoa right because it's super wide open back pattern and they're like Kalatoas don't look like that but then if they were to see a literal sibling they'd be like that's a Kalatoa and they were from the same sex <laughs> so yeah right that, that's what I'm saying like yeah the, the variability is phenomenal that's pretty cool um all right, that next one, your wild caught male that we're going to have pulled up here is probably my favorite male that you have. Yeah, he's, he's got some cool greens. I wish he would have sired at least one clutch because everyone that saw him, they're like, Xanary, right? I'm like, I don't know. Was, and that, I it. was that the dud? Yeah. Tell yeah, seven clutches later, <laughs> not a one viable clutch. I'm like, okay, you know what? I've tried. Everyone's like, wait, what do you mean you tried seven times? Yeah, he, he like you know missed a mark seven different times, and most of those girls slugged out. I think out of the seven, I had three partho clutches. None of them ever survived. So at that point, I was like, "Okay, I got to stop trying you." <laughs> and I was like, did "Don't wait, I'm gonna stop." Is if I get rid you, of you? Did you ever try him in ambient, or did you always have him on yep. a gradient? No, try. I tried him on ambient. Tried, switched it up and all kinds of things. Because when I was in Arizona, I did ambient for like two seasons. Like before, I did the normal. You know the under tank, then I switched to ambient, did the breedings with him. Because every year when I had him, I would switch out different girls because I was like, I don't know if it, most of the times when he was breeding, initially those clutches were first time girls. So I didn't know if it was a girl issue or is it, it was a him issue. But year after year, I was like, okay. Then I started breeding him to like proving like that I brought him to the TK girl and she's and she parthoed and there was babies that make it. But at that point, she'd already been a seasoned breeder. So I know it wasn't her. Then I brought him to the smaller um, Leonard grow and she's um, parthoed and none of those made it. So Man. then even He's like my other three, like SD that aren't like locality labeled, I bred him to two of those grows and one didn't go. The other one ended up slugging out. So I was like, okay, I'm done, dude. And I was like seven, like, I think that was over a span of about five years for those seven clutches, give or take. And I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I got to stop using. But I, I understand why you, you, persevered that long oh, i mean he is absolutely. almost the perfect mix of that tk girl and the and the barry leonard yeah that silver like, on him and that the green hues are just absolutely mm -hmm. insane that's that, why so, everyone's like he says it's a good snake are you sure i'm like uh seven breeding says i'm sure so if i'm not wrong he looks about seven feet seven and a half feet no he was smaller than that he's probably uh when i Sent him to Gary. He was probably six, six and a half of that, and probably not even that. Okay. So, so a long time I got him in a V seventy because I put him in a four by two, the uh, Vision four hundreds, and he was a super, super spastic. Where when I put him back in the V seventies, was cool. Like I, yeah. I tried to pull him out of the V seventies or not the the V four hundreds, and he'd be flailing around, musking, just going crazy. But then when I put him in the V seventies and I pull him out, it was super chill. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you hate big cages, so. What do you think the super doors? Because th this this snake looks very silver, but also green. So, what do you think the super door king would label this? A silver phase or a green phase? <laughs> Probably somewhere in between. It'd be some new hybrid. They call okay. it blue, blue yeah. phase. The blue phase. That's what I'm saying. It's a that perfect mashup. Yeah. So I, I understand the seven year or the seven breeding trial that he was put yeah. through. 
All right, let's go on to the next mail. The next mail, the PK line Calto from Shannon Roki. Yep. Is that how you say her last name? I hope so. I, I hope I so, too. So. I, I, I stumbled across her, and I actually I, I learned about her like a year ago, but was kind of mind-blown for how long that she's been producing Calatoas for. Yeah, she's been she's been at it for a while. She was probably producing it before a lot of people because she just got... Yeah. Yeah. So this girl, definitely, again, so, I mean, this guy, she uh, he's, again, just your high yellow TK type of animal with the jagged spearheaded. So like I said, when we talked about like the lineages out there in Kalatoa, there's only really one that you can like look at and know almost for certain. Yep. If it's if it's like, you know, and that's the TK line. Um, it's got that triangular jagged pattern that looks really freaking awesome. Um, the the silver on the inside. And I bet when he fires up, I bet I, I bet his yellow is almost highlighted. Yeah, yellow, he's right? super like super bright and the contrast is amazing. That's why down he, the road he, I want to do the two TKs together, hopefully next season. He looks a lot like my TK male. Um I would say that yours probably have better contrast in terms of like that darker color with the silver, but I, I just can imagine like my TK silvered up. He's like this pastel yellow and then everything else is silver, and I could imagine that he would look pretty similar. Oh, man. Great-looking animal. And then the last one that you sent is that beautiful wild-caught female that is, like, striped out pretty decently, but it's not a clean stripe. And some of the saddles are even open between that stripe, which right. are kind of cool. Um, what what I like about this one is um, oftentimes in Kalatoa, like, one of their defining features, um, I know Garrett loves to talk about this feature a lot, too, is the black dorsal pinstripe that goes from the neck down to the body. Yep. This is a this is a really good example of like a little bit down from the neck, you'll see this black line and it'll just start going down the body. It's obviously not a perfect black line, it'll start to break up, but it has that awesome just black line that goes into the mid body and then it continues down a little bit more. And then usually with all calatoas towards the back end, it kind of opens up a little bit. But um that that's a that's a female man and she's tiny. That looks like it's only one of those uh 20 quart tubs that you uh, have or 27? 27 gallon. Yeah, she's probably yeah, 27 gallon. Yeah. Yeah. She's always been small, even after breeding. She, like, I think the first time I bred her, I bred her with my snow and it was going to be 70 tub. One thing I like about her is how, how thin all of the, the striping is with the black through maybe her first fourth and then it starts really expanding and getting a little bit thicker yep. through there. Yeah, and, and what I'm and I, the reason why again we we both agreed on having you on for the Calatoa segment was because I just I we knew the diversity of Calatoas that you're working with, and I really wanted people to see and be open minded. Um, if you have a reputable breeder that can provide you information on the Calatoas that they have, but it doesn't look like your classic TK Calatoa, like that that's not you know this last uh, you know episode seven when we just talked about like how to buy a Superdorf and locality retake, we talked about red flags, like just because it doesn't have the perfect stereotypic look of a Kalatoa doesn't mean that it 100% is not because that Barry Leonard animal is a perfect example. And, um, mm -hmm. and I mean, even, even that uh, wild caught male that didn't breed for you uh, that you sent over to Garrett, beautiful Kalatoa. Um, but I mean, if you the look at the nice. Kalatoa, like 
yeah, you know, when you look at how it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's just, you know, there's such a wide range of color, pattern, variety, and size. Like, these are all, you know, a lot of them are adults in terms of the year that they were produced. Um, but just, like, goes to show that size, pattern, color, they can vary even within a specific locality. And, I mean, Daniel Solis did a great job with having that picture side-by-side side of two different Kalatoas on Kalatoa Island. Yep. That look completely different from each other. And that was only from two sections of an island that probably has five to six different areas where you can find Kalatoas. Absolutely. I think that the big thing, too, right now, because, you know, everyone's trying to get wild-caught blood into their Kalatoa breedings, which is a great thing, but at the same time, it's going to be kind of hard for new people to come in saying, I want a Kalatoa, then, you know, someone shows them this, like, that's, you know, like you said, oh, it, it doesn't look like the classic. Well, yeah, because that's, like, literally not necessarily fresh blood, but, like, new blood being mixed in. So, you know, it's going to kind of change the normal things that we think yeah. of Kalatoa. So everyone yeah. has to be, you know, cognizant of that and say, okay, if it's, like, a wild caught to an established line or whatever, you're going to be, like, you're going to have a lot of variation. Like the Leonard girls, they're literally from the same clutch and, look 100% night and day different, you yeah. know? I mean, I, yeah. I, so my first clutch, it was an F1 clutch from a wild caught, wild caught, and it produced animals that look, I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of the blushing on some of my animal, like my male that I held back, but looked totally different than a lot of the Calatoa stuff that I've seen. Um, and then I took my female this year to a TK, and I'm sure it's going to produce different looking animals because, again, when you're introducing wild caught blood into, yep. and wild caught blood that has not already been introduced several times. Like my female, exactly. that was her first viable clutch that, that she's had. And so that's, that's a different look and a different, you know, experience and that you're going to see from her when she's paired to any Calico. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I think we're close to getting past the days where we're going to have fresh wild caught productions, but um, when they do come along, it doesn't mean it's not legit because it doesn't look like a TK. For sure. Yeah. And at the end of the day, too, I mean, I love the TK stuff because it's very, like, distinct. But at the same time, it's nice to have other st stuff because even if you're breeding strictly locality stuff, like, you don't – not that you don't, but I wouldn't want a room of, like, 20 of the exact same identical animals. No, <laughs> you know, I, I, I want that variation. I want that, like, some of them are crazy, like – the silvers and greens or open back patterns or a stripe or this or that where, you know, and especially like if you're selectively breeding, like say down the road, line breeding, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, you emphasize that open back or the, you know, that those, you know, offset triangles or this or that, that's, that's half of the fun of like, Hey, let's see what happens when I do this and that they're here at Calatoas, but you can go way in totally opposite directions on what you want to do, depending on the animals themselves. Yeah. And I think Nathan would agree with me. Like, if you're trying to establish a market for these animals and stand out from the rest, don't get calatoas that look like the rest. Yeah, have have a little bit of taste. Identify something that you find attractive, and you know, I think you're going to find other people that think the same way. Exactly. Yeah, Nathan's got good taste. He's got a nice mustache. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm surprised. I'm I'm able to keep it as long as I have. It's Beyonce phenomenal. hasn't made me shave it yet. I, I rock uh, Yeah, I, I work at a barber school, and we did Spirit Week this week, so I uh, I did the full uh, new boot goofing from Reno 911. Nice. Yeah. Did you say you had legit ostrich boots? 
Oh yeah. My, my grandpa had some ostrich boots, so we, we did it up, buddy. <laughs> That's amazing. That's good stuff. Um, so, I mean, let's kind of wrap up here. Um, anything else that you want to mention, um, Eric, in terms of Kalatoa, what, what you like about them, what, you know, uh, do you have, how many other localities do you have? Just a Kalatoa. Okay. Yeah. You sold, you but... sold your jams? No, actually, no, I have the gems. My bad, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> they're just large calatoes. Yeah. No, they're actually, like, they've stayed, like, stupid small. Right now, they're, what, I think a little over two years old, give or take. And they're both male and female because they're basically on the exact, they're on the same speed schedule. I want to say they're five feet. Man, Yeah, that's I've good. seen videos from a few months back, and yeah. uh, they they were pretty small yeah because garrett the last time when garrett came like he was saying yeah because they're basically about the same size and it's funny because i got i think i got john's holdbacks because they did that you know joint breeding and one of mm -hmm. john sent me the pictures you know they're all grouped together and i was like hey i like this one and this one and he was like oh okay those were the ones i was gonna pick i was like oh my bad <laughs> but yeah i don't i don't even know what i'm like i don't really have a path with them so it's like one of those things where i've debated selling them but having like making Andrew jams is cool. But at the same time, I don't really have anything further than that down the road. If I do it, the only thing that would be cool, I know because jams bring a ton of color that Calicoa doesn't have for the snow stuff. Like some of those high influence jam snows are their colors. Are absolutely insane. I find that phenomenon crazy because like, if you look at a jam next to a Calicoa, like a non anery jam, and you look mm -hmm. at it next to a Calicoa, Certainly, you see a little bit more of the red hues and the orange hues, but like side by side, they're not drastically different. But once you start putting them into morphs, jams do something magical. I don't know yeah. what it is. Any any of those like Amy jam combos are just absolutely insane. That's why I'm like, yeah, maybe breed them once, get some Amy jams out of it, and run that back to snows or this or that. So I haven't like I don't know. I'm on the fence with him. Garrett calls it jam sauce, and I like that term. A little bit of jam sauce. Um, you got anything else for us, Eric? Anything that you want to talk about, Calatellas, or things that you think it's worth for people to to listen, or maybe like a final message that we covered, but that you really want people to really understand and know the biggest about thing, like for Calatellas or in any of the localities, like I always tell people, like even if it's a pet, like go and go in looking for them with the mindset of like you're doing purebred dogs or cats, where lineage is everything, because at the end of the day, like you know you'll have these buyers ask you these, you know, the standard questions. And I'm like, if you can't answer those same questions five years from now, when you're producing yours, like you're dead in the water, there'll be cool snakes. Yeah. to sell, but you're not going to label them as whatever locality. It's like, you have to do your homework because unfortunately plenty of people out there, you know, naming anything and everything. Oh, this is Kalatoa. This is that. If they can't prove it, there's, you know, basic questions you can ask where if they can't answer, they can't provide details and you can't confirm third party. Like if they say, I got this from person A and you go to person A and say, which I've had problems in the past where I go to person A and they're like, well, I don't really disclose previous sales, which I kind of understand. But at the same time, depending on locality stuff, I mean, we're in. It's a, red flag. it's a, you know, it's been a short time with the Calatoa stuff. So it should be pretty easy to say, hey, you got it from this person who did, you know, in this backpack. You just got to do your homework because unfortunately there's a ton of people almost every day on those groups posting, hey, I got this Kalatoa. You're like, dude, that's a motley. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, that's a Kalatoa. Oh, I'm like, oh, that, that actually recently happened. 
I'm just oh, like, man. it sucks for the person because like, you know, they're new, they're excited. Hey, I got this. And you're like, oh my God. You, like, yeah, it sucks. Like I bought animals when I, get, when I got back into it from known big breeders. I got hosed on genetics and they flat out lied to me. Then I confront them years later. Oh yeah, I did that. I'm like, yeah. oh wow. Thanks, yeah. dude. So, it yeah. just sucks. You got to do your yeah. homework. Do your yeah, homework. I consider myself incredibly lucky to have met you, met Richard Bilbo when right. I first got into it. I mean, I, I if I hadn't stumbled across y- you two, I don't know. I I probably would have been one of those guys on the forums. Right, right. Um, yeah, I I I couldn't agree more with like that stance, especially when you're getting any pure locality, especially with wildcat calatoes, because today. In, in this industry, Eric was mentioning like mainland people are starting to want to come over and they're, they're, you know, really eager to get into the game. And I mean, I just, I see a lot of people out there, everything in the, everything in their mom is a Calatoa right now, like everything. Yep. Right. And, and so just be careful. As a matter of fact, like we mentioned earlier, go watch episode six, buying super dwarf reticulated pythons. And, and we, we talk more in discussion about what Eric Lee just mentioned about what me and Nathan do. Um, on how to do just your homework and make sure that you're not getting scammed or tricked into buying an animal that you think is going to end up manageable and then ends up not being. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing you need is something that you can't manage or you aren't prepared for. It just right. it, it's bad for everyone and especially for the animal. Yeah, yeah. Because the animal gets rehomed and then it gets rehomed, and that's why retakes are often neglected. Um, it, it's a shitty reality, but yeah, if you own a retake, gotta be responsible and that starts with before you own the retail be responsible um all right on that note man eric it was awesome having you i hope nathan does his cool little desk goodbye thing <laughs> he hasn't done that in a while and i'm hoping that he does but uh lucas lucas likes my new desk quite a bit yeah um so for those of you listening on spotify and apple music if you want to watch our videos and see how awkward we are on camera, go ahead and watch on YouTube and subscribe to the Retake Lounge. For those of you on our Patreon, uh, we are recording, what's the date right now? This is the 30th of September. We have 23 Patreon members. You guys have been great. We're doing Patreon Discord Lives every other week, and we are just now introducing some new uh, footage, behind-the-scenes stuff that me and Nathan are doing per request that people are asking for, as well as some backside interview access that we got from Arlington. Come join the Retake Lounge community. It's great. Um, Eric Lee, I, I will offer this uh, invite out there. Anybody who does an interview with us, we we would love to have you back on a Patreon Discord Zoom chat so that people can have direct access to ask you questions, talk okay. to you, get to know you. Um, so we'll connect later about that. Um, Nathan, Sounds anything else good. before we head out? Nope. All right. All good here. Okay. You guys have a good night, good morning, good evening whenever you listen to this. Thank you so much for watching another episode of the Retake Lounge. Take it See easy, guys. Later. later, Eric. Thank you. Later. Anytime. Yes, he did it. Okay. <laughs>